right, welcome to the podcast. I am Joe Posnanski, and with me is Michael Shore. Michael, welcome. Joe, thanks for having me. Mike, you sound a little down there. You sound. I can't help it, man. It's like you oh, know, you bummer. get to November and you're looking at three months before pitchers and catchers report. Three and a half months, really, and then that isn't even that exciting because then it's another month and a half before the games start. And then the games start, and you have that dumb thing where your team plays one game, and then they're off the next day. And I, I can't. I mean, it's so long. It's so long before baseball is back. It's de- so depressing. It is so, so depressing. And there's not. I don't. I, I don't know how we survive these these months without baseball. This is. It's. And by the way, I mean, I used to be able to survive uh, by watching the NFL. The NFL would take me. Into you know into February right it would it would sure February now well first of all I mean I, we don't need to go into great detail on this but uh, I believe uh, that you are the backup quarterback for the Jacksonville Jaguars at this point is that not correct I think that, that is true I, yeah I, well I'm I'm actually the backup for four different teams <laughs> I have four different contracts I'm the backup for the uh, Texans Texans sure sure I'm the third stringer for the Jaguars right. I'm now also the I'm not starting for the Packers this <laughs> oh, week. Oh, that's weird. That's that's crazy. Yeah, I got as soon as we're done here, I gotta fly to I don't even know where they are. They sent me a ticket. I gotta fly out there. And then I am the second string and third string and practice squad QB for the Patriots, wow. which is kind of fun because they're you know they're my favorite team. They're your favorite team. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. So you- yeah. So if something happens to Brady, I go in, and then if something happens to me, I replace myself. <laughs> <laughs> Which we, but so you decided not to go to the Bears is what you're saying because I know that I know yeah the the, Bears... well, I mean they have a pending offer right. that, for me to be the backup there as well but I feel like four teams is sort of the four max teams, for me yeah you, you, know. you can't spread yourself too thin on on, a, no. on any given Sunday it's it is the NFL uh, is as depressing you know the NFL is depressing anyway I mean the NFL the NFL has so many depressing elements to it and then I'm on a cross country flight yesterday from LA back home after after the baseball season ended and uh and for some reason I'm not this is not a complaint but there was no wi-fi on the plane the plane I've not been on a plane flight that long uh you know domestically that didn't have wi-fi there was some problem I guess so I you know that's five hours I was just I was able to sort of stay clear of all the news and everything else it was kind of freeing and I landed, and the first thing I saw when I landed, I landed, and and I, I turned on my phone, and there was a text from a friend saying, I can't believe it. That's all it said. I can't believe it. And I, I can't believe it could be whatever. I mean, and I don't even know what he was specifically. He might have been referring to Trump's Twitter account being, you know, destroyed for a safe for, bet. Yeah. Uh, but I think he was referring to the fact that, that only the most exciting young player – uh, in the NFL and, and one of the most exciting young players in, in a long time uh, got hurt on a, on a yeah. non, non, it wasn't even a contact thing. It wasn't even a, a, a contact injury. Uh, what? Not only was it a non-contact injury, it was at a practice. practice. Yeah. He didn't even like you, he wasn't even in a game. He wasn't even like trying to score. I mean, it, I, I tweeted about this the other day. It is, it is so, I don't know if it's always been this absurd. Maybe it has always been this absurd. I don't know. And I just had turned a blind eye to like the, the thoroughness of the disappointment. But Aaron Rodgers and J.J. Watt 
and Deshaun Watson yeah. and Odell Beckham Jr. Yeah. I mean, it's like they it's like they they've made a list of the most of the biggest stars yeah. in the sport right. and they are not being knocked off one by one and they're out for the season. And it, it it's shocking. I mean, of the of the I mean, you know, forget about Zeke Elliott uh either being suspended or not suspended every hour. There's there's an update every hour about whether he is out or in. Uh, but, I mean, of the 10 biggest stars in the sport, like six of them are out for the year. And, and you know, the, uh, it's, it's just like, I, it's, I don't know how you stay interested, frankly, in the sport when... You know, the Texans are kind of like, ooh, that's an up-and-coming right? team. No, it's Tom Savage. Tom Savage <laughs> is your quarterback now. And it's like, wow, Aaron Rodgers is leading the Packers. Nope, sorry, it's Matt McGloin or whoever it is. You know, I, I just don't know how you – I mean, Ryan Tannehill's been out for the year since before the year started. The Dolphins are are terrible. And Julian Edelman is out for the year before the year starts. And then the year starts, and all these other guys, just one by one. I mean – it's almost like teams should start their practice squad at the beginning of the year. I really think that I think there's an argument to be made where you start your second stringers at the beginning of the year. And then when they get hurt, you insert your starters. <laughs> I, because it's just like at the beginning of the year, you know, everything is sort of up in the air and there's weird upsets and teams aren't used to playing. And there's all this kind of anything can happen. I think for the first four games of the year, you should start your backups. And then because it's just too, the sport's too brutal. You can't, by the time you get to the end of the year, know everyone who's playing is a person you've never heard of before. Yeah, well, it's like you should just extend the preseason because, you know, that's all that is as well. You know, it's just a bunch of boring, uh, irrelevant games with players. Uh, we don't even mention Andrew Luck is going to miss the entire year. I mean, yeah. it's like... Right, you know, oh, the, the other two, he has, it's an afterthought. Andrew Luck is like, well, yeah, Andrew Luck exists. <laughs> but he's, uh, he's not, I mean, he hasn't come close to the... No. Every time he throws... He, he forget about throwing a football. He got out of his car a week ago and tossed his keys to the valet and strained his shoulder, and he was out for six more weeks. It's awful. It's awful. I, I, the Deshaun Watson thing hit me harder than than almost any of them, just because we just we're just getting to see this guy. I mean, look, I'm not even following the NFL this year, and I'm excited about him. I mean, he's just he's fun to watch. You just see, I just see highlights of him, and I'm just blown away and and obviously the fact that the Browns should have drafted him and didn't has some has some bearing there as well and you know and for him to just get hurt like it's amazing to me by the way that yeah of the six biggest stars in the NFL of you know as far as Q rating who's the guy that's going to be in the commercials or on the tonight show whatever the only one that's healthy the only one is 8000 years old that seems bizarre to me that the only guy that can stay healthy among that star group is Tom Brady. How, how is that yeah. possible? How is that possible? I don't know. I mean, if you believe him, it's because he's magically learned how to like be tackled in the right way to avoid, you know, I, or because he puts some kind of ceramic bowl on his head when he sleeps that has a frequency <laughs> that uh, taps into the uh, earth waves, the lunar waves coming from the moon. I, I mean, uh, who knows? I mean, I, I probably it's because he's really good at, at moving within the pocket right, and getting rid right. of the ball that's before right. he gets hit. And he's been hit a lot this year. He's actually already been sacked more this year than he was all of last year, I read. Um, and, you know, it, it, by the way, it, it's just it's a matter of time, right? I mean, it, that's the harsh reality is there's if you if you were a betting man and someone offered you uh, even odds on him 
starting every uh, the next eight games, you would, of course, you would say no. Right. You would say absolutely not. There's no chance he does because not because of him, because no one does. Right. No one survives. Like no running back, wide receiver, uh, quarterback, or or lineman, or defensive lineman, or anybody. They none of them survive the whole year. Yeah. I mean, like you know, Gronk uh, misses a couple games every year. And last year, the Patriots won the Super Bowl last year. I don't know if you remember that, but the New England Patriots won the Super Bowl. Is that Bowl. true? Yeah, it is. I believe they won the Super Bowl in part because Tom Brady missed the first four games of the year. I really do. I think he's, he, he, was, he only had to play 12 games, and that's four. He, a quarter of the season was removed from—the the, the injury risk was removed for a quarter of the season. And I feel like that is, that's a, a big deal. I, you know, I, like, I think that this is clear what should be done here as NFL commissioner and podcast commissioner, Roger Goodell should suspend every good player in the NFL for the first four games. Yeah. Just suspend or, them. or rotate them, right? <laughs> Have a quarter of the league is that sits out the first four. And then the next quarter of the league sits out the next four. Everybody plays 12 games, right? Everybody plays 12 games and you cannot play the other four because you're suspended. I think that actually, yeah. that probably is like the safest way. They wanted to expand this season to 18 games. That's it's I mean, so I mean, dumb. Oh I my mean, gosh. I, I also, by the way, I feel like if you're trying to money ball football, right, you would, the, the number one uh, sort of like threat to any franchise is injury. Right. By far, right. by far the number one threat. It's not poor play or interceptions or fumbles or, bad field position it's obviously it's injuries and so if you're trying to moneyball football there's got to be people who are like you know what if we reduce the number of snaps that each player takes uh per like by 18 percent and rotate in different guys at different positions we will reduce our injury risk by this much and then we have that much better of a chance of getting to the postseason i think that the number one thing that the that the league frankly, should be that the players union should be arguing for is expanded rosters. They should be arguing that they're from 53 to 65 pay 12 more guys league minimum and have, you know, create that many more jobs, 12 times 32 more jobs and, and have that, even if it's, even if it's league minimum salary and have that many more guys be rotated in to, to save injury risk to the starters. I think that's, it's pitch yeah. count. It's it's like the pitch count, right? I mean, you figure, that's right. You know, and I, I, especially for uh, skill position players who who are really in the biggest. Not to say that that offensive and defensive linemen aren't aren't uh, killing themselves. They are. I mean, look, Joe Thomas. You want to talk about another big star that that's out for the year? Um, but skill position players. If you're a, any kind of team with some success, I think about a couple of years ago when that Cincinnati Bengals team was really, really, really good. The the year Hugh Jackson was their offensive coordinator, and they were really, really good. I think if Andy Dalton doesn't get hurt, they go to the Super Bowl. I, I really do. I think that team was that good, uh, and and he got hurt, and they didn't go to the Super Bowl, and they weren't going to the Super Bowl without Andy Dalton. I don't know. I mean, maybe you don't start him the last four games of the year or something. I mean, the, the, you're right. I mean, I think that these guys have to start thinking along the lines of, um, we gotta we gotta protect our players somehow. Yeah, you know? yeah, crazy. Yeah, but we didn't listen. We didn't come here to talk about injuries in football. We came here to talk about the completely. 
disappointing oh. anticlimactic game seven of the World Series. <laughs> I'm, you know, but, all right. But before we do that, let me, let me very quickly let's let's very quickly do our Browns update. Let's check in. Browns lost uh, since the last time we talked. I know that's weird. Um, they got they got kind of blown out by Minnesota in in England in a very sad uh, display of of American football uh, for 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 our uh, friends across the ocean. And uh, and then then this is the, you'll like this. This is good. This this might bring you back on board. You know the NFL trade not deadline came uh, and and the Browns. Uh, I don't know if you know this. They 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 don't really have a quarterback that they right. that they like. So uh, the New England Patriots backup quarterback uh, is a guy you might have heard of, a guy named Jimmy Garoppolo. The Browns uh, coach Hugh Jackson has made it very clear for for several uh, months that he loves Jimmy Garoppolo, would love right. to have him for the team. And and there was talk between the Browns and the Patriots for a trade uh, during the off season. Nothing came of it. Well, as the trade deadline approached, there was a, a real opportunity to get Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, and the Browns' uh, front office uh, didn't uh, stay for the afternoon. They left. They went home. Uh, now, it should be noted, uh, let me just jump in here and add a detail. Jimmy Garoppolo eventually was traded for a single second-round right. pick. That's right. Now, the Browns have a, lot of, they have a lot of draft choices coming up, including a second-round pick that they picked up when they just took on Brock Osweiler's right. salary. They just got a second-round pick. That's right. So they, they, And then they got rid of Brock Osweiler. So they could have just taken that, apparently, they could have taken that second-round pick and maybe added like a seventh or a sixth or something. Right. And they, they could have had Jimmy Garoppolo. Based, right. on, based on what he eventually was traded for, that, that there, there's the reason that you take on Brock Osweiler, that you pay him his uh, guaranteed salary, because you end up getting the guy you really want. Uh, who's young and has a high ceiling, but they didn't do that. They went home for the day. They went home for the day. The 49ers jumped in and and made the trade, right. uh, which upset uh, Hugh Jackson and the coaching staff quite a bit because they did not go home. They actually stayed and worked as as football people do during the season. And so apparently in order to uh, satisfy him the next day, they decided to go out and trade for a different quarterback that Hugh Jackson likes, uh, a backup in Cincinnati for AJ named AJ McCarron, uh, and they finalized a deal where they would trade a second and a third, which definitely, by the way, would have gotten Jimmy Garoppolo, a second and a sure. third round pick to Cincinnati for AJ McCarron. Celebration. Five minutes left before the trade deadline. They didn't send it into the NFL office, and the trade fell through. So my question to you is this: Are you back on board, Browns fan? Can you you can you back on board now? Uh, no, I'm not. However, <laughs> I'll tell you what would get me back on board, and I mean this sincerely: the totally plausible uh, conspiracy theory that okay. what actually happened was the front office, uh, someone in the front office, or some or the owner. Uh, Jimmy Haslam made that deal a second round pick and a third round pick for a completely untested right. uh, quarterback AJ McCarron who was oh pretty good at Alabama but like hasn't done anything in the pros hasn't really had a chance to given but like is a completely untested entity yes and word got, of that trade got to someone smart in the front office and they were like we're not doing this and they were like, you have to. We agreed to it. And they were like, no, we're not. You know why? You know how we get out of it? We, quote, forget, end quote, to fax the paperwork to the league office. 
and the trade deadline passes in five minutes and then the trade falls through. Watch this. And someone said, you'll look, but we'll look like we're so incompetent. And they said, I don't care. Everybody already <laughs> thinks we're incompetent. At least this time we'll be incompetent in the service of something good, which is not doing this insane trade, which is a second round pick and a third round pick for a backup quarterback who has barely played a snap in the NFL. And they, if you told me that that is actually what happened, which some people believe, I might, it would, it w- I don't think I'd be back on board, but I would be more inclined to come back on board because it would tell me that the front office of the Browns is actually uh, like on the ball. Well, not really, but but uh, by no, the way, but but that they did something. They avoided a, a, a Browns catastrophe by mimicking a Browns catastrophe. They actually avoided a Browns catastrophe. I would say, by the way, because uh, because I've read some of that and I've thought, I, I'd say there's a seventy percent chance that's true. I really do believe that's true. I believe that that it was not a. Uh, it was not a, a an act of of complete stupidity to to forget to send it in. I do believe that somebody in the front office didn't want to make that deal, and then this was the only way they could get away with it. Yeah, um, that's that's a fireable offense uh, in my in my view. I mean, if you're the owner of this team and somebody did that to you, uh, you would can that person, right? I mean, that's I think that, so. that would, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that seems that seems fireable to me. Um, and by the way, yeah, the the trade itself would have been a disaster. I mean, there was nothing good happened in any stretch of this. Um, but if you if you looked and said, uh, "I'm I'm killing this deal in the way to make us look the stupidest possible uh, way." Uh, yeah, I'd fire that guy. I would definitely fire. I'd start firing everybody. It should also be noted, though, that a second and a third. Oh, it's I mean, insane. It's insane. That would have gotten Jimmy Garoppolo, though. Easily. I mean, that they yeah. would have gotten, I mean, a second and a seventh got uh, Wes Welker years ago, right? Like yeah, a, a fourth right. got Randy Moss or whatever it was. Like that, You can get really <laughs> good players for pretty oh, yeah. medium draft picks in this league. Like... I mean, what did Kelvin Benjamin just go? Uh, he went for from fourth, yeah, for right? nothing. Yeah, like I, yeah. I mean, uh, AJ McCarron. Are you kidding me? I, no, if no, you told was... me if you told me uh, AJ McCarron got traded, I would have guessed a fifth, maybe, like yeah, a, fifth a fifth and maybe a fifth and a seventh, or like a fifth and <laughs> and a and some practice squad player or something. Like I mean, a second and a third. Well. I really kind of, you know, knowing a lot about both of those teams, because I, I worked in Cincinnati for years and, and know Mike Brown, the owner, and all of that, I think I know how it went down. I mean, I the, the Brown, you know, Mike Brown uh, has very, very strong feelings of, of dislike for the for the Browns because Mike Brown is the son of Paul Brown who got fired by the Browns. So there's 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 a lot of there's a lot of anger and, and all of that. I think there was panic after the after the Garoppolo thing was such a disaster. I think they had to get a quarterback. Hugh Jackson, Hugh, Hugh has made it very clear he does like uh, AJ McCarron. So I think they went to the Bengals and they said, "Okay, we'll we'll give you like a fourth for McCarron," and they were like, "No way." And he said, "Well, we'll give you a second, a second round pick for AJ McCarron." And they're like. Yeah, no way. Give us a third also. And I think they were so panicked that they made the deal. And I do think somebody went, oh, no, we're not doing that. Well, how are you going to get out of it? We're going to do this. We're just going to completely, completely, you know, go underneath everything, undercut everybody, uh, make our our owner and our whole organization look like fools. uh, But we're going to get out of this deal. 
Uh, yeah, I think that's the Browns. I think that pretty much sums up the Browns right there. So. Great. But then I'm not on board. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to Game 7. Game 7 of the World Series. You know, we did an emergency podcast yep. uh, leading into Game 7 of the World Series, which we got some things right, some things wrong. Uh, but the thing that we really got wrong was... What what a bummer of a game! What a just a bummer, right? It was a we were, we were both there, and this was the this was going to be the climactic moment of really one of the great World Series in recent memory, uh, and now not one of the great World Series in recent memory because Game Seven was just a bummer. Okay, so th- this is the only way that you can sort of um, look on the bright side, I think, is that what made games one through six so wonderful in part is the specific aspect of baseball that it's so hard to predict, right? That again, you can have the same two teams play a series of games and you can get three to one and you can get 13 to 12 in the same series. You can have guys who are unhittable one game who get just absolutely obliterated the next game. You can have Cody Bellinger striking out on every single at bat, and then suddenly he goes three for five with a homer and two doubles or whatever. That's part of, obviously, this is a a very, very old observation. It's part of what makes the game so wonderful. The only way I can look on the bright side is to say, okay, that same unpredictability of baseball means that sometimes after six scintillating, tense, interesting, complex, wild games with comebacks and home runs and and unlikely heroes and all that sort of stuff, you can unpredictably get a total dud of a game seven where one team jumps out to an early lead. The other team never gets close. The thing just kind of winds down slowly. There are so few after six games where there were an unprecedented number of, Oh my God, I can't believe that just happened moments. There were exactly zero of those moments in game seven, (laughs) zero. Like even the scoring was like, Springer hit a home run. Yeah, he's hit a million of them. Like, who cares? There was an error on a grounder that scored a guy from third. There was a Andre Ethier dribbled a single into right to score one run. There was no, there was not a single interesting thing that individual event that occurred. There were a couple storylines that emerged. One of them was Kershaw throwing four shutout innings. Another one was Charlie Morton doing essentially exactly what McCullers had done in game seven of the Yankee series. Right coming in and just slowly suffocating the other team. Uh, you know, he didn't allow a base runner, I think, for three innings. Um, it was, it was, it was really great, good. yeah. And so it's not like yeah. it's not like no one was good. It's just that, right. no, it's no. Just that there were, the entire series had been, I can't believe what just happened moment after moment right. after moment. And then in game seven, we were so teed up for more of that and got none of it. There wasn't a, there literally wasn't a single interesting moment in the entire game. At least you would say after the second inning, after Springer's home run, that was the last time something interesting happened, really. Yeah, and and even that was, you know, I mean, it was great, and George Springer was incredible this whole series. But even that, it was 3 nothing at the time, right. and, and it just, all that home run really did was say, okay, you're not going to see an interesting game today. That's all that home run really did. Um, I, you know, it's interesting about when you look at this series, because all you have to do is make game seven into game five okay so that's the fifth game played and make game five into game seven and this is one of the greatest world maybe of all played, time yeah right right all you have to do is switch those two games that's it that's all you have to do same result the astros still win and nothing to do with who wins the series or doesn't win the series 
Uh, it just has to do with the with the tension and the drama and the excitement of the of the game. And you know, there was so much anticipation for this for this game. And switch happened. by the way, switch seven nothing and two, happened. and you have the same thing, right? Oh, yeah. same thing, absolutely, same thing, same thing. Uh, you know, I mean, look, look, four wins for the Astros, three wins for the Dodgers. Uh, two of the games I would say were lost by by the team that should have won it, right? I think games two and game five, the Dodgers had big leads um, with with the opportunity mm-hmm. to finish it off, and and were unable to do it. Other than that, the games were other than game seven, which I didn't think was all that well played either. I mean, it wasn't wasn't a bad game there weren't it wasn't sloppy or whatever but you know kind of the at-bats nobody seemed to be really into the at-bats uh, a couple of guys looked hurt and beat up and you know there was no real I mean the Astros used a million pitchers and then used one you yeah. know down the stretch and it, it 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 didn't feel there was no there was no flow to the game it didn't feel like there was this flow and that's what had been there every other game even even you know I, I mean game one uh game six these weren't classics, but they were taught, well-played uh, games with drama and tension. And you're right. After the 5 nothing lead, there was we, we texted each other during that time, do the Dodgers get the tying run on base yeah. at any point during this game? Uh, and they didn't. And they didn't really come close to getting the tying run on base uh, at any point. It just... The game just kind of it just, just fizzled, fizzled and, the, and and it fizzled early and you could feel it fizzling early because in the first inning, so they give up two runs, right? Springer doubles, he moves to third and scores on this error, and then there's another run. It's a two to nothing, but there's only been one hit, right? So it's like okay, first inning jitters. Taylor leads off the bottom of that inning with a double into the gap, and and then uh, Turner gets hit, right? Like he, he, after an out, right? And so you're like, all you need here. All you need is a single, and that, and you need a single right, by right. one of your best hitters. You need like Seeger or Bellinger or Puig or somebody to just hit a line drive single into the outfield, and this is a game. And the crowd is the crowd. It was obviously, I mean, it seems silly to say this, but it was the loudest I've ever heard Dodger Stadium. the 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 lead up to that inning, the first inning, like the, the right before that game started, it it was so exciting. It was and, insane. And, the, was, and like all really you was. needed, you just needed one thing to go the Dodgers way. And they, they got rid, they got a little situationally unlucky in the second inning with the line drive that turned into the double play after another first and second, nobody had, they loaded right. the bases with two outs. They had like, they had these moments where it was just, you just needed that one little thing to happen and the crowd would have been super into the game and they just never got it. And they, even when they, you know, uh, Puig's had had that little sort of flare line drive to first, and later in the game with runners on, and and it was like they it was like the kind of like um, the little bloop over the second baseman's head that scores a run, the you know the the line drive that goes to where a, a guy would have been playing if he hadn't shifted, like one of those situationally lucky moments that good baseball karma. Uh, that happens all the time. You're like it's so common, and it had happened constantly throughout the whole series. It just never. You just they just couldn't right. get lucky. They just never got lucky. And then you add to that the legitimately like what you would say have to say like the failure, the the absolute abject failure of some of their hitters uh, to to come through. You know, Bellinger yeah. 
despite the fact that he had that homer and a couple doubles and that triple that Springer misplayed, uh, he struck out just time after time after time after time after time in the series, the whole series. And it was hidden uh, by the by some of the wins. It was hidden by some of the pitching performances. But then you got to that game. You got to that game seven. And he came up a couple times early on with runners on base when they just needed that one big hit. That's and right. he just looked lost. And uh, and it was the, he picked a really bad time to totally forget how to hit, <laughs> which is the World Series. Well, well, it's true. It's true. And, and, and honestly, it leads to a question, which is sort of a bigger, bigger question, which is obviously this season was marked by the incredible performances of two rookies, right, of Aaron Judge and, and Cody Bellinger. And both of those guys had postseasons where you saw them really exposed. I mean, obviously, Judge had a couple of, of moments, yeah. and so did Bellinger. And Bellinger actually had a pretty good uh, championship series as well. Um they're both really exposed. I mean, they they now have one. They're one and two in uh, strikeouts for a postseason. All one time, and two. yeah. He uh, Bellinger is number one all time, and which is amazing for Aaron Judge. He yeah, even seven gets fewer games, series, right? I mean, he 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 did it seven fewer games, but they're one two, and and you know, and look, that's that's what good pitching does. That's what great curveballs do. I texted you before when 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 Bellinger was up the second time. I think. Um, came up with runners on first and second. I texted you, he has no chance here. He has no chance. He was facing McCullers curveball. They they left McCullers in the game to face him because, you know, McCullers came out right after he faced Bellinger because they knew this guy can't hit McCullers curveball, can't hit it. And he didn't come close, didn't even come close swinging the bat. So question is, I mean, these guys are going to have to make adjustments. I mean, are they going to have – sort of come back to earth years next year? Is they, or are they going to make the adjustments where they're going to be, you know, able to, to hit? Because they're they're both going to see a whole lot of curveballs in 2018. Yeah, the book is out. I'm in, you know, I they're, they're obviously both super athletes. And, sure. Um, you know, but they each have a problem, right? They, the problem is, uh, for Judge, is his size makes him, I think it makes it harder for him to adjust to the new way that they pitch to him. And you saw that, like, right. they, you know, they went through that stretch where they completely solved him in the second half of the year, and he was absolutely flailing. And then there was right. a second, and then he adjusted, then they made a second adjustment, and he was started flailing again. And I think you may get, I don't know if Aaron Judge is going to have another year where he hits uh, 50 plus home runs. You just don't know. I mean, you know, look, know. and that doesn't mean he can't be valuable if he hits 38 or something, but you just, it, I don't know. He's, he's not a spring chicken either, by the way, Aaron judge, he's 25. <laughs> like he's, yeah. you know, and obviously that's, he's still a very, very young, but like he, it, there's a reason it took him to 25 to get to the majors. And Bellinger is just, you know, I watched him all year going to games <clears throat> Sorry, I go into games with my son, and he has the longest swing. It's he his does. swing. It's so long. The bat starts at the backstop, and it, <laughs> and it and it almost he's he's going to be the first hitter ever to reach base on pitcher interference because his swing <laughs> is at some point is going to hit the pitcher's glove on the follow through, and. And you watch it all year, and you thought, well, that's the opposite of how you're supposed to hit, right? Like, you're supposed right. to be short and quick to the ball, and he is the opposite of that. But, hey, look, you can't argue with success, right? Then you watch an entire pitching staff attack him with the same pitch, 
a slider right. or a curveball down and in time after right. time after time. They did it to Seeger too, by the way. Bellinger wasn't the only guy. I mean, I texted you a screen grab of Verlander pitching to Seeger uh, in game yeah. six, and it was like nine straight pitches, nine straight breaking balls that started on, you know, at the knees on the inside corner and ended in the dirt by, by their back foot, and they swung at all of them. They couldn't yeah. stop swinging at that pitch. It, it was the same pitch every time. And so, you know, I, again, it's like they're not stupid. They're way smarter than, about hitting than we are, certainly. It's not like they don't know they have to make these adjustments. But my goodness, I mean, I, it, you know, if it were easy to make an adjustment, they would have done it in game two because they were attacked the exact same way in every single at-bat, and the Astros were successful in almost every single at-bat. Yeah, well, I mean, I th- I thought with Bellinger specifically, um, the real problem was he was trying. He really was trying to make some adjustments. I mean, he would his his two strike uh, swing was different. Uh, he did shorten it up, but it it looked worse when he made the adjustment. It looked worse. It was it was really it was one of those swings that I made me you know tweet out that I said he looks like. He looks like Roy Hobbs when when he was dating Kim Basinger. And that's really what it was like. It looked to me like a guy who was sort of not just not just struggling with at the plate, but like in some sort of cosmic slump, you know, where it was it, it was like, oh my gosh, how what would happen if he did hit the ball swinging like that? It wouldn't have gone anywhere. It was you had no idea what he was doing. And and you know, I think that look, he's twenty two years old. I, I'm not down on him. I'm not down on Judge. I think both those guys are going to make some adjustments. But you do wonder if they will ever be if it will ever be like this. Like this year, one thing you cannot do with 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 uh, Cody Bellinger or Aaron Judge is throw them a fastball. Can't throw them fast. Right. Can't throw it right. by him. Cannot throw it by him. So, are people going to still try to challenge him with the fastball? Not everybody has a good curveball. Not everybody else has a good slider. So. They'll still face some pitchers who are going to have to try to challenge them, and they're still going to have success. But are they going to be able to make the adjustment to hit those curveballs uh, and sliders and breaking stuff that really? And it's the same pitch. It's just a, it's a righty and a lefty, but it's the same pitch. For Bellinger, it's down and in. For for Judge, it's down and out. It's it's the pitch that that breaks right. a foot out of the strike zone. Are they going to be able to start laying off that pitch? I mean, you know, this is it's fascinating. That's what's fascinating about baseball. Uh, you would expect both those guys to keep getting better. They're both going to win Rookie of the Year, and, and you expect Rookies of the Year to, to get better. But I don't know. I mean, it's going to take some real adjustment. One of the weirdest aspects of the World Series, given that it was seven games long and there were so many incredible moments, is if you actually look at it, if you look at the stats, there weren't a lot of hitters who had good series at no, all. No. There really weren't. Obviously, Springer was a monster. Um, Springer was seemingly up every inning and homering every inning of every game. <laughs> That's what it seemed like. Uh, other than Springer, there were only, and obviously small, all the small sample size, uh, uh, alarm bells should be going off, blah, 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 blah. But there were only two hitters on the Astros who had an OPS over 800. Uh, and one of them was Evan Gaddis, who only got up 10 times. So, you know, and the other one was Correa, but, and, and like, these guys who you feel like were, were you know, dominated the series, they didn't. Like, they really right. didn't. Guriel, Bregman, Gonzalez, Altuve, these guys did not have. Josh Reddick, you know, had a terrible postseason. Um, Jose Altuve had six hits 
in seven games. Yeah. And in, and by the way, two of them were doubles and two of them were homers. So he had two doubles, two homers, and two singles in 31 at-bats. He had 194. His OPS was 670 in the series. And the same is true of the Dodgers, except for, you know, Culberson was three for five in five games. That doesn't right. really count. Right. Jock Peterson was the only semi-regular who really had a, a great series. Other than that, I mean, Chris Taylor had a 751 OPS, and he was the only guy who played in all seven games who was even over 750. Oh, yeah. And he was 751. I mean, Justin Turner had a bad series. Corey Seager had a bad series. Kike Hernandez had a bad series. Bellinger was nowhere as villain. Bellinger struck out 17 times in 28 at-bats. I mean, that is, that's horrifying. Puig couldn't hit. Puig had four hits in, in seven games. Um, Austin Barnes had four hits. By the way, what happened to Yasmani Grandal? Why wasn't Grandal hitting? <laughs> Why was he never in the game? You texted me when they let uh, Kershaw hit after the third inning, after his third inning of work, or maybe his second inning of work. He let off that inning. They let him hit. Uh, you know, they ended that game. I mean, I know it was 5-1, to one and they couldn't do anything, but they ended that game with Grandal on the bench. Grandal never got into that game. Grandal had 22 home runs this year. Like, don't you have to... T- I mean, you have to empty... In the same way you have to empty your bullpen... You have to empty your bench. You can't. You can't end that game with any halfway decent hitter uh, not having gotten up. And when they finally did pinch it, somebody it was Chase Utley, who isn't nearly the hitter that that Grandal is. It, there were some very legitimately weird moments of of uh, managing in that last game. And it's. I know it's hard in a, in a series when your bullpen hasn't performed to expectation. You have Kershaw in the game and he's cruising. I get the instinct to let him pitch, but. My goodness, you you ended that game with a major league hitter, a good one with power, having not come to the plate. I think that's a huge mistake. That was well, just a weird miscalculation. I think so too, but I gotta say, I tweeted that. I didn't I didn't tweet specifically because it was actually with two outs that Kershaw came up. There was two outs and nobody on base, which is a very, very low oh, I level. I thought he let off, but uh, no, no, yeah, it, was, way. it was two two outs and nobody on base, and and I what I wrote and. I was specifically tweeting for one reason. I was specifically tweeting to say these guys have such short benches that they really don't have a lot of options uh, because yeah. they go with 13, 12 pitchers, and so they only have 13 hitters. It's only you know only four or five guys on the bench, and, and one is your backup catcher. You can't do a whole lot with that guy. And and so it's a weird kind of uh, situation, and, and – but I tweeted, you know, that it's really sad because you're down five runs. They were down five nothing at the time. You're down five runs and you're letting your pitcher hit. And a bunch of people wrote in. I mean, a bunch saying I was insane. I was insane. <laughs> you can't bench. You can't sit down Kershaw there. You, the most important thing is run prevention, blah, blah, blah. Which I look, I, I love Clayton Kershaw and and I was thrilled to see him pitch well, although I'm not giving him full marks. I thought the Astros were absolutely going through the motions uh at the plate. But he got he got four innings of, of no run ball. It was awesome. Great for him. I, I was thrilled for him. Um so what? They were down five nothing. I mean, you've got you know, and and even Joe Sheehan, who who I'm a you know obviously a huge fan of Joe's. Joe made the point that it was a very low leverage situation, and a pinch hitter doesn't give you much more of a chance. It doesn't matter. You you ha- you're down five runs. You've got to take every opportunity to try to score a run. They have the top of the lineup coming up after that. Get a yeah. guy on base, a well, home run, even two runs in that situation is a huge huge deal. And and I think it was just a 
I, I thought it was a mistake. Nobody, nobody seems to agree with me, and that's okay. I'm not, I'm not. You know, look, I, I it, it sounded like I was insulting Kershaw or something. I love Clayton Kershaw, but down five runs, I'm not letting a pitcher hit in the game seven of the World Series. There's no chance I'm letting a pitcher hit any situation, any time. And your point about Grandal never giving to the plate is a is a great example of why. I mean, that's, yeah, you just, you I mean, you have your season is is whatever fifteen outs has fifteen right. outs left that's in right. it. And by hitting Kershaw, you're conceding an out. And I know that you're, again, like I get it. Your your bullpen has not done as well as you would have liked in the last few games. Uh, but, you know, look, in game six, they held the Astros to one run. Like, you know, game five, they got destroyed and beaten up, including Kenley. You know, Kenley had been knocked around. A bunch of guys had been knocked around. But the day before, in that same stadium, your bullpen pitched pretty well after pulling your starter after four and two-thirds. I, I just I I mean just the off chance that Grandal could could Homer right is worth it right it's like any, and, run, any I, run at that point yeah, so I, I know I, and especially when the top of the inning is coming up when the top of the order is coming up next uh, you know if he can single and then you get Chris Taylor who's got power if you get Chris Taylor to the plate and he he maybe puts one out suddenly it's a completely different game I know it's all what if what if what if 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 but like. That's the game you have to play. When there's 15 outs left in your season and you're down by five runs, you have to play that game. I, I, think, I, think, so it, I think it was crazy to not... Even if you want to hit Utley there, fine. Hit Utley there and save your backup catcher, do a double switch later, whatever. But I don't know. I just don't think when you're down by five and you've been suffocated... Um, and by the way, you only scored three runs in the last game, so it's not like you're expecting an offensive explosion anytime soon. I, uh, it was a very odd, uh, very odd managerial decision. I thought. I thought so too. I thought so too. By the way, Chase Utley was 0 for 19 in the postseason. Oof. 0 for 19. I, I mean, is he? Well, have we seen the last of Chase Utley? I, I mean, I kind of hope the answer is yes. Not, yeah. not. I mean, I mean, if Chase Utley wants to be a backup and you stay in the game as long as you want, I'm not down on that. Chase Utley was a great player. I mean, really, truly a great player in his prime. And it's kind of sad to watch him now. I mean, from a fan's perspective, that's not, I never, ever would tell a player to retire, play every minute you can get every dollar you can get out of this game. Uh, but it is sad watching Chase Utley now. I mean, I did, they sent him to the plate and I turned to, to the person next to me and I went, no chance, just yeah. no, no chance. Chase and they, they had two of those guys cause they had all, they picked up Granderson and I, we can't, we went to a couple games late in the year yeah, and thing. he just looked lost too. And I remember when Granderson played on the Yankees, Ugh. I was thinking like, that is the best athlete I've ever seen that guy. <laughs> like he just looked so good at being athletic. <laughs> and yeah, then like, yeah. And then, of course, is like universally adored oh, and admired by everybody. Soul. Yeah, wonderful. And I, it was it was sad to watch him flail uh, with the it team was. to the point where they couldn't even justify putting him on the roster. That was a bummer. It was a bummer. And look again, and and I can't I can't blame him because he looked even worse than Chase Utley during the during the uh, playoffs. Um, but in a in a real world, you wouldn't carry twelve pitchers for a seven game series. You right. would, you know, in the old days, you would have. A, a spot that you would put him on just off chance. He gives you a Kirk Gibson like moment, um, but they couldn't do it because you, because the way the, the game has changed. So, all right, well, we're, we're going to go on to our draft here, but before we do, uh, Mike, anything on your mind? Uh, no, I don't think so. All right, let's go on to the draft then. Oh, wait, you know what? I'm sorry. There is, there is one thing I wanted to get off my chest. It's okay. small. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. I mean, I could say it. I couldn't, I'll, I'll just go ahead and say it. 
All right, go ahead. Here it is. Um, I wanted to take a moment to tell you about the Cut Forecast. Now, the Cut Forecast is the podcast from the staff of MLB.com's Cut 4 section, which focuses on the lighter side of baseball. If you've made it this far into our podcast, we really think you'll enjoy it. This week's episode got a little emotional about the Astros' long-awaited World Series win, then debated whether Carlos Correa's on-field marriage proposal makes it more or less appropriate for fans to follow suit. Anyway, the point is, search Cut Forecast, that's C-U-T, the number four, C-A-S-T, in Apple Podcasts or wherever else you get your podcasts and click subscribe. And now, Joe, on with the show. On with the show. On with the show. I'm so glad that you got that off your chest. I just, I, I, I could have not said anything. I could have just kept it to myself, but I, I don't know. Why not? It's like the last, it's the last podca- podcast of the baseball season. So I figured why not? I'll just, I'll just. Absolutely. Say yeah. Absolutely. By the way, you did not uh, th- this week. Nothing was really on your mind about the uh, about the Statcast podcast, which you've never no. said, never said uh, in in a, in a row. Uh, but I will tell you that Statcast podcaster Mike Petriello uh, wants uh, a long series of Jacksonville Jaguar jokes on uh, <laughs> the good place. He, he, he would like to see just literally half an hour of nothing but Jacksonville. Just nothing Jaguar. but Jacksonville Jaguar jokes. Yeah. All right. For- for those of you who uh, certainly watch the the uh, the Good Place every uh, every Thursday at what eight thirty is it eight mm-hmm. thirty? Yeah, well, we just the, the last the eighth the last epi- one yeah the eighth episode aired last night and now we're off the air for a couple months because of uh, football. We'll come we come back in January with our ninth episode. But the way I see it is just more opportunity for you to catch up if you haven't seen all the episodes yet. That's true. Although yet another reason to be depressed. Another couple months. That's without right. the good place, but in the good place, uh, one of the great characters, Jason, is a Jacksonville Jaguars fan, which is awesome in all ways. Yeah, uh, and uh, and and I'm not to give anything away, certainly not. But at one point in the in the uh, uh, one of the shows, he asks, uh, "Did the Jacksonville Jaguars win the Super Bowl?" Uh, and and he was told no, and he said, "Will the Jacksonville Jaguars ever win the Super Bowl?" At which point, Ted Danson said, uh, "You know, I can't predict the future, but." No, but no, they won't. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that is that is the truest statement ever. Ever, they're never winning the Super Bowl ever. ever. I don't know. They got a real good defense this year. Apparently, not, they're the Jackson. No, they probably do, but they're the Jacksonville Jaguars. It's not going to happen. <laughs> All right, we are drafting. Uh, we're going to draft players. How about this? It's like it's like we're going back to the roots of what drafts are supposed to be in the yeah. first place. You come all the way around, and we're back at the beginning. We're just drafting baseball players. <laughs> we're going to draft baseball players. We're drafting players from the World Series, um, and and that's it. I mean, we're not necessarily drafting the best players, which is sort of the players that we got the most enjoyment out of uh, during this World Series. Is that right? That's is exactly that right. I would say that's right, yes. All right. All right. So I guess I got the first pick, so right. I'll start. Um, and it, it's the first pick's obvious. I mean, I think this is going to be really fun because I think we're going to get some cool players. But no question, the the player who who blew my mind during this series was George Springer, and and that's obvious. He was the MVP. I have seen plenty of George Springer play through the years. I mean, just just flipping channels, catching Astros games here and there. Obviously, when they got good during the playoffs, uh, watching George Springer, and I always thought, you know, this is what a what a talent right what a good player I mean he's he's obviously he's a good outfielder he's got good speed he's got power he's a leadoff hitter you know he's 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 sort of in the mold of that five tool player uh I had no idea the guy was Superman I just didn't know until this postseason he started this postseason with a four strikeout game 
He struck out four times in game one, and this was coming off of a, I would call it disastrous American League Championship Series against the Yankees, where he yeah. got he hit nothing. He didn't hit at all. And and my thought was, wow, George Springer, you know, and, and there was, I was there in the press conferences when when uh, people were asking manager A.J. Hinch if he was going to bench him or move him down in the lineup or something. I mean, it was that bad. And Hinch, you know, to his credit, said, no, of course not. I'm not he's our leadoff hitter. I'm going to stick with him, and he'll have more good days than bad days. And then I don't think he missed a pitch the last six, the last six games. It was one of the craziest, uh, you know, because it wasn't just that he hit whatever he hit, 400 for the series or whatever. Um Every ball was just crushed, just crushed. He didn't hit little cheapy home runs. Every one of his home runs was was just this monstrous, gargantuan shot. He hit the home run in Game Five that went up to the upper, like little deck over the, over the left field wall where they have the cannon. So it actually, if you watch it on replay, it looks like that home run actually sets off the cannon, which is which is awesome. Um, what a player. What a player. I mean, it's 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 really to see an athlete that good is is one thing, but to see a player that locked in, especially coming off of off of the four strikeout game where he was just you couldn't throw a pitch by him. Even the last out he made was like a rocket to to center field. He he just he just was so locked in. I'm blown away. I I was just blown away by George Springer. Uh yeah, we all thought this was going to be Altuve's coming out party or right. Correa's coming out party. It was George Springer's. And by the way, I mean, look at his regular season stats. He had 34 oh, home runs as a leadoff hitter. He had an 889 OPS. He scored 112 runs. He, I mean, he's uh, he's great. He's truly great. Yeah. And uh, by the way, I should say, I as a point of pride, New Britain, Connecticut in the house, I'm from. Uh, I grew that? up from. I grew up in West Hartford. New Britain is you know fifteen twenty minutes away. It's where the New Britain Red Sox used to play. I think there's now a different Double A franchise there. I used to go to New Britain all the time. It it's weirdly. I have a. I take a weird amount of pride in in the the <laughs> World Series MVP being from Central Connecticut, a place where no one is ever from, except for weirdly, by the way, Jeff Bagwell, also from that Bagwell, area. Bagwell, that's so, right. Uh, two that's great right. Astros from Central Connecticut. Um. Anyway, yeah. I. I mean. Every uh, everything he did, with the exception of diving for that triple, uh, misjudging that triple, and, and that first game, every single thing he did was amazing. He, uh, you're right. Even his outs were like rocket line drives. He, I believe, he hit that rocket line drive that that um, who was it? Chris Taylor maybe had to like run and slide and yeah, and yeah, it just was like right. God. Every his... time he came up, Dodger Stadium was very upset. <laughs> it was just you could feel it. Well. Uh, and I didn't feel that for anybody no. else. I really didn't. I, like, on either Nobody side, scared you. I Even when Correa it. and Altuve homered in game two, like that didn't set them off. I mean, you know, they had legit, like Altuve had a bad series offensively, he, for yeah, especially he for him. I mean, I know he had two home runs. He had a straight up bad series. He did not do what we all thought he was going to do, which is dominate in the way that he dominates so wonderfully. So I'm not picking either of those guys uh, with my number one pick. I'm going to pick uh, uh, Alex Bregman. Um, Alex Bregman had an okay series offensively. He was okay. He had a couple homers, and he was what he was. He was seven for thirty out of the two hole. A couple homers, he drove in some runs, and you know he. Did. But I'm picking him because of his defense. That guy 
played incredible defense at third and in in a very unflashy way he made every play he made plays where he came in on the ball he made plays where he went to his left he made plays where he went to his right he he was in you know they the Astros pulled some pretty crazy shifts he made plays where he was essentially playing shortstop uh he and and you know and obviously he was in the middle of that crazy game five um uh, rally hit the got the winning hit I just was like the I you know he got lost on this team hitting second where when the on on a, in a lineup where Springer hits first and then Altuve hits third and then Correa hits fourth he was completely lost I was not I knew who he was I knew he existed on earth I did not know anything about him I was super impressed watching him play I think he's he's 23 years old and he secretly is like such an important part of that team uh, he's not flashy. He's not like, he's not a guy that you're, uh, you know, that your eye is naturally drawn to, but as a 23 year old in the regular season, he hit 19 home runs. He did an 827 OPS. He scored 88 runs. He stole 17 bases, uh, which by the way, here's the weirdest thing about Springer. You know how many, guess how many bases without looking, how many bases did George Springer steal in the regular season at 140 games? It, it was. It actually. I know. I know. It wasn't a lot. I looked it up at some point, and I knew it was. He stole five bases. 10, maybe doesn't it seem like that guy should be yeah, like a thirty yeah. thirty guy? Like I just like that's how good an athlete he is. Is you would just assume that he's really fast. I guess he's not that fast a runner, or doesn't have a good technique or something, or doesn't run. Or doesn't I mean, run. That, yeah, that team I guess maybe. Really but run. like, yeah, but Altuve doesn't... runs. Altuve had thirty two. And well, yes, anyway, yes. the point is, I, I, you know, Bregman wasn't the flashiest guy uh in the series and he didn't have the best series but i just suddenly became aware of what a what an amazing player he is so i'm picking him first he was so fantastic i mean just defensively and he and he scares you offensively i mean it was he's exactly you know look i'm I'm never ever going to forget the play that he made against the yankees in in the i mean incredible Incredible, incredible. And then he had a play. It was not nearly as amazing, but similarly uh, built where he where he beat uh, through home on a, on a ground ball when the guy left on contact. And it was an easier play. He was coming in and, and whatever, but it still was a, you know, that's not a, that's not an easy play. Uh, he's, he's terrific. Bregman is terrific. And uh, so, yeah, that's a, that's a really, really good choice. Um with my uh, second pick, I am going to go with you know I'm going to go I'm going to go with Charlie Morton. That's what I'm going to go with. Uh, we talked a little bit about Charlie Morton before Game Seven. I, I think we both thought there was a chance he was going to be the guy in Game Seven, which it turned out he was. I don't get Charlie Morton <laughs> at all. I don't. I don't understand how he does what he does. He's always been a fascinating guy. You might remember. Like, I don't know, maybe three or four years ago when he was with the Pirates, maybe even a little longer, uh, he decided to uh, completely mirror Roy Halladay. Like, he had studied Roy Halladay film, and he decided to do, like, a frame-by-frame, like, psycho <laughs> rebuild huh. of, of Roy Halladay's swing. I don't know, the pitching motion, I mean. Uh, I don't know if you remember that, but, I mean, they, used, they were showing video of him and Halladay, and it's, it was precise. I mean, it really was, like, better than than the psycho, uh, like cut for cut, you know, uh, shot for shot. And I was just like, well, this guy is quirky, you know, it's weird. And, and like, he was a good pitcher. He was pretty good. He was good with the pirates. He, he never could stay really healthy. He never really could get you 30 starts. Uh, 
but he was good. He was he was solid, and then he was no good, and then he was solid again, and then he was no good, and 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 then he went to Philadelphia, and you know whatever, and then he came this year, and and he was really really good first of all this year, but suddenly he he was a power pitcher, suddenly throwing ninety seven, and and with a with a nasty nasty breaking ball, and and like where did that come from? Suddenly he's striking out ten batters every nine innings. I mean the guy had never was a strikeout pitcher at all in entire career. Uh, it was weird. And then he he just came into game seven and just took it over. Just flat took it over. And you did sense a little bit of, of desperation on the Dodgers part, uh, which I think he played into. But he came into that game, it was over. It was just over. The Dodgers never even like posed even like the slightest threat to him. And... Yeah, I mean I'm, that's impressive. It's impressive. So he he's the guy that that uh, that I'm picking number two. In order for the Astros to win the series, to get past the Yankees, and then to win the series, he was exactly the kind of guy that needed to step up. Like yeah. because you you expect like Verlander and Keuchel to be good, and you expect Altuve and Correa, whoever, to be good. But in order to get over the hump of the Yankees and then to win, to, to beat a team as good as the Dodgers, Morton is exactly the kind of guy who needs to emerge, and he totally did. He showed up in Game 7 against the Yankees. He showed up again in this in, a, in the series. Like, it, 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 like, you know, again, it's like it's a team sport, and we all know that. And what the, But what that really means is, like, the guys who, are, who can go either way, who might be good and might be bad, they need to be good. And he was one of, right. one of those guys. And his he threw five innings against the Yankees of like two hit ball in game seven. He threw whatever it was, four innings in this in the game seven against the Dodgers, three innings, whatever it was, and shut them down. Like that is ultimately like as big a deal as you know, as any home run that anybody hit. Yeah, that's right. In fact, it's no, a big right. deal, obviously. Um, it's a good choice. He was he was probably gonna be my next pick. Instead, I'll go to the Dodgers. Uh I'll pick. Uh, I'm going to pick Jock Peterson. Um, I don't particularly like Jock Peterson. Uh, <laughs> I think it's probably psychological because his name is Jock. Like his his name is the thing that he is. Right. He is a very <laughs> jockey guy. Um, but I'm picking him not just because he had a really good series. He had three home runs. He also was the only guy to try to beat the shift. He ended up hitting a home run uh, <laughs> to left. Um, uh, I should point out, I would be remiss if I didn't point out that if uh, Yaziel Puig had done what Jock Peterson did when he hit those home runs, there would have been a thousand think pieces about how Yaziel Puig oh, is sure. disrespecting the game. <laughs> and because Jock Peterson is a white guy, there were none. I just wanted to point that out. But um, the, the, after watching this team now for many years, and especially this year, the thing that made the Dodgers so good all year was they had all of these guys, all of these different guys who kept having really good runs of like three, four, five weeks at the plate. You know, they have these guys, Chris Taylor and Logan Forsythe, they picked up and, and, you know, Turner, there were guys that were good all year. Turner was good all year. Seager was good all year, whatever. But then they would have these guys, Kike Hernandez and Austin Barnes and Grandal and all these different guys who would just get on these like really hot streaks and kind of carry the team from the margins of the lineup. And it was fun to watch Jock Peterson do that because Jock Peterson, you know, he burst onto the scene. He had 20 home runs really fast in his rookie year. And then suddenly there was a giant hole in his swing and he couldn't hit anything. 
And the Dodgers got a bunch of good outfielders. You know, they had Chris, they got Chris Taylor and they had, you know, Bellinger plays in the outfield sometimes and they had Puig and Wright and they had Andrew Tolles who got injured, unfortunately. And Peterson was sort of like an odd man out. And it was kind of fun to see after having watched the team for so long, it was fun to see him reemerge and get hot and kind of come through with some big hits. And, you know, he's not my favorite player on the team, but when he's good, he's really good. And it yeah. was it was fun to watch him get hot and to and to drive a few balls into the stands. Yeah, I agree. I agree. You know, and the story with him and his brother is very cool. And and I mean, there's 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 some stuff to like there. Um, he was really good. Yeah. I mean, and and that felt to me there was something, you know, even extra extra fairy taleish in some ways about that. You know, obviously him getting sent to the minors and all of that in the comeback. When he hit the first home run, you thought, oh, that's a nice moment. Right. Nice moment for the guy. Good for him. Good good for Jock Peterson. And then you're like, I'd never expect to see that again. Yeah. But he kind of did it all series. He really did. Yeah. I mean, it, at, at some point, if you were a Dodgers fan, especially, you know, game six and seven, he's the guy you wanted at the plate. Yeah. I that, mean, isn't it that was, crazy? It was, In that lineup I with know. those hitters. He was the guy that people got were, were like, ooh, he basically did what you thought Bellinger was going to do, right? Or see, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah, I mean, he was, he was, you know, the home runs he hit, I mean, the opposite field one was a was a weird one, but the other two were bombs. Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, I, 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 that's a good pick. That's a good pick. Um, with my third pick, I'm going to go to the Dodgers as well. Uh I'm going to take, and this is for a little bit weirder reason, but I'm going to take Rich. Ah, shoot. Uh, I almost, I almost <laughs> took him. I almost took him last pick. I thought I could sneak him in the third round. Rich Hill was really fun to watch this series for a lot of reasons. But one of the reasons for me watching Rich Hill this series was I just, there's never a time Rich Hill goes out there that I don't expect him to get ripped. I just, there's never a time. he Every time he goes out, and it's not like, Rich Hill has bad stuff. Rich Hill is a huge strikeout, you know, uh, guy uh, this year and all that. But he's 37, and it's been a weird career and long, and he, he kind of came back, and then he was gone again. And then, you know, obviously he's had some health, you know, things that he's overcome. And I just go out there, and I'm like, oh, boy, he, they're just going to they're gonna score four runs in the first off of him and end this. And they never did. They never really did. And nobody really ever does against Rich Hill. It's like you you can get guys on base and it looks like you're going to get them. And then he'll find some way to, to, to get like a little dribbler back to the mound or something and, and get out of the inning. It's, it really, there's, there's something kind of artistic about it, about the way he, he, he does that. Uh, I thought he was a lot of fun. I really thought he was a lot of fun to watch this series. There was a weird feeling uh, watching Kershaw pitch. Every time you watch Kershaw pitch in the postseason, or at least I did, you're like, oh, please, don't don't, don't get beat up, right? Don't get hit, because then everybody's going to be out there talking about the stupid narrative that you can't get people out. So there was like a, there was like a tension, but it's like when he got people out, there was like a – Fine, good, good. Another right. inning that nobody's going to be talking about. Clayton Kershaw can't win. Rich Hill, it was the exact opposite. Every out he got <laughs> felt like a little miracle. It was like, this yeah. is awesome. Look at that. Look at that guy. So, it's a good loved pick. it. So, Rich Hill's uh, my third pick. He also did the awesome thing of stepping off the mound to let the Dodger Stadium crowd oh boo. Oh, my God. Yuri Hill. <laughs> 
uh, when after the uh, the racial incident, that was awesome. I loved him for that. I thought that was great um, and super cool. There's an argument to be made. He was the most valuable pitcher on the Dodgers, even though he kept getting pulled early. I, th- I feel like Dave yeah. Roberts feels like you do, which is like this guy's going to get rocked. Meanwhile, he right. threw he threw right. eight and two thirds innings, gave up seven hits and struck out twelve, and he only gave up two runs. I mean, he he pitched really well in the series. Uh, you know, there there's the best the, the best Dodger pitcher probably the series was Alex Wood, which is insane. It's an insane thing to say. But Alex Wood threw seven and two thirds <laughs> innings and gave up one hit. Uh, he there's a you know hindsight is twenty twenty, but it, it's possible they should have started him in Game Seven. Um, anyway, the point is Rich Hill is the best. I love Rich Hill. I'm I, I wish he's the guy that like you wish had gotten that ring uh, for the Dodgers more than more than as much as you know yeah. Kershaw. You wish it for different reasons, but Rich Hill it would have been a great story. He's pitched for forty different teams in in eleven years. <laughs> Uh, it would have been nice. Yeah. By the way, some. By the way, somebody. So uh, more than one person uh, tweeted me or texted me, uh, somewhat feeling like like it was not cool what Rich Hill did uh, to to Gurriel where, where he stepped off the mound and let the fans boo for even longer. And and the thing I loved about it, I mean, the the thing I loved is he did it in such a way where there would be no mistake that that's what he was doing. That's right. Like he didn't pretend like he's walking around like pretend to do that and you know secretly want the No, he's he would stand behind the mound and like just stand there doing nothing while the fans booed him. So it was clear and of course afterward he said that's what he was doing as well. And pe- there was there were a couple of people. There was one specifically, seemed like a decent guy. Uh was like, "Well, that's not cool. You know, look what what Guriel did was wrong." Uh, but it was, you know, this is a cultural thing. And I just didn't think that was cool. I think we're too sensitive about such things. And I'm like, if we're too sensitive about this, why in the world would you blame Rich Hill for letting the fans boo? That seems to me like that's exactly what sensitivity, you shouldn't feel any sensitivity. Like, that, like let the fans boo. Why, why are you sensitive about that? Um, I thought that was, I thought the moment that he let them boo was great. And I also, by the way, we should say when Guriel came up in game seven against Darvish, he tipped his cap to him. He sure did. And that was cool. That was a cool thing for him to do. And by the way, I feel like this is, this is all good. Like this stuff should not be kept quiet and under wraps and internal. I think you got to like, when things like this happen, everybody's got to speak up and say, yeah, this is ugly and sad and gross. And like, let's talk it out and get it out and all express our feelings. And I think it, I think it leads to moments like Guriel stepping into that box and tipping his cap to Darvish. I thought, I thought Guriel, look, what, what Guriel did, we all know what he did. I thought Guriel, and, and, and by the way, his original initial apology yes. was dreadful. It was dreadful. It was, it was awful. And the, the, the Astros uh, put out a press release that basically said something like about perceived something. It was awful. It was just awful. So like the first day, nobody really knew how to handle it. But I thought by the second day, everybody kind of had their arms around it. And I thought Guriel, like, he yeah. took it. Like the fans booed him. He didn't, he didn't like kind of... He didn't say, hey, nope. they shouldn't be booing me. He didn't or get he super macho okay. and defensive, said, right, whatever. He was like, nope. okay, yeah, I, I did a stupid He's thing. Like, it's right, offensive yeah, and nah, gross. I, and I'm going to tip my – I deserve it, yeah. I I, deserve I, I weirdly – it was a yeah, tiny yeah. little dumb subplot of the World Series, but I thought that when it came to an end with Guriel tipping his cap to Darvish, I was like, okay, that the world is now a better place yes, than it was. Right. 
a day ago. Yeah, I agree. Um, I'm my third pick. Uh, I'm going to pick Charlie Culberson. Nice. Uh, okay, so Charlie Culberson. <laughs> here's some information about Charlie Culberson. <laughs> Charlie Culberson got up to the plate during the regular season 13 times. Right. He had 13 at bats in the regular season. In those 13 at bats, he had two hits. Neither of those hits was a home run. In the World Series, he got up five times, had three hits, and one of them was a home run. <laughs> he had more hits in five at bats in the in the World Series than he did the entire regular season. The joy on his face when he ran around the bases after hitting that home run is one of the best moments in any World Series that I can remember, certainly for a team that didn't end up winning the game or the series. That was, you would have to say. Um, but I loved that moment. That moment to me is what when, the, when this World Series kicked into high gear from being interesting to like, oh my God, this is something, this could be something very weird and special. I love that for the rest of his life, Charlie Culberson, who had 13 total at-bats, for the entire season. I love the fact that he hit a home run in the World Series. I love the fact that he was that exuberant about it, that we will see the the tape of that. We'll see that moment played over and over and over again forever and ever and ever. It'll be played at Dodger Stadium between innings forever and ever and ever. Like I, It was just a wonderful World Series moment from an unlikely guy. You go, go back in time in your head and think about whoever you want to think about, Mark Lemke or Ozzie Smith's home run or whoever – and find those guys who just are the 25th guy on the roster who managed to have a big World Series moment. That is what the World Series is all about. It's what makes baseball great. Love that guy. Congratulations. Number three pick. Love it. Love it. Love the fact that a couple of people were kind of grumpy about him doing yeah. that, and his response was, uh, yeah, I just hit a home run Don't the care. World Series. <laughs> Do not care about you. Don't. don't <laughs> not not going to not do that ever. No, that's a World Series home run for me. That's awesome. Uh, love that guy. Yeah, I thought that was awesome. That Look, that that game was incredible. I mean, Game 5 is the wildest game I've ever seen. Game 2 was just mind-blowing. It was yeah. so good. It was just, oh, uh, and that was, you know, again, he hit the home run uh, and they lost the game you know, like five minutes later, right? Because it was the next guy was Puig. Um and and it didn't matter. It still was just an incredible, amazing. By the way, Charlie Charlie Culberson, uh, uh, in his uh, so his in his career, um, he it's the, he has a fifty seven OPS plus. He's a two thirty one hitter with a fifty seven <laughs> OPS plus. Right in the in the postseason in fourteen great. games, he's a three forty eight batting average with a nine eighty six <laughs> OPS and a six fifty two slugging percentage. He's he's eight for twenty three in his postseason career in three series. He's eight for twenty three with two doubles, a triple, and a homer. <laughs> he's a postseason hero oh, now. For the you've awesome. got to put that guy on your roster if he's ever on your team. You've got to get that guy to the postseason. He, he mashes in the postseason. And he, the only reason he was even on the team is because Corey Seager got hurt. That was the they, otherwise he wouldn't have even been on. And then he had that such a good. Uh, such a good, you know, uh, championship series. They're like, ah, oh, we got to put him on the World Series roster, even though Seager's bad. Throw him in there. He plays a hundred positions. Let him play, and then he hits a home run in the World Series. It's the best. Let, let him play. It's so awesome. So awesome. That guy will never have to buy another beer in in L.A. Right? I mean, then you got to think. I w- actually, I, I don't think that's true of him. I think it, oh. it's because he, I think he. He would have had the Dodgers would have had to have won. They would have to win, yeah. and the and the, the homer would have had to matter. That's right, probably. But if he told people I'm Charlie Culberson, they might. Give no, most people in L.A. would be like, "Who? I don't know who that is." 
<laughs> what movie were you in? All right, my fourth pick. Um, you know what? I'm going to go my fourth pick. I'm going to go with Justin Verlander. And and uh, th- there's kind of a specific reason. Look, Verlander was very good in the postseason. I mean, he was excellent in the postseason. He was very good in the World Series. Didn't win either of his games, I guess, by win thing, whatever. But but he was he pitched very, very well and, and all of that. But there's a very specific reason uh, that I'm picking him. I was thinking a lot about the – every time he pitched, I would think you, – you know the the folk uh, – uh, tale of of John Henry, right? So John Henry was the was the whatever steel, you know, pounding the steel and and uh, trying to build tunnels through for for the railroad. And eventually, uh, he was the best. He was the best at at whatever that's called. And uh, and then they built a machine, a steam engine that could do it. And he raced against the steam engine and and he beat the steam engine, but then he died, right? So this is like the the folk tale of of man against machine or whatever. It feels to me like Justin Verlander is like the folktale of man against machine. It's like everybody else out there is you start in the postseason, you know exactly what you're doing. You're going to pitch five innings, four innings, three innings. You're going to face two of the batters twice. Uh, You know, you're going to go through the order twice. You're not going to get a third time. And then there's this guy who's like from another time and another place uh, who just is, you know, he's just like grandfathered in. I mean, it's insane. And uh, it was it's fun. It's fun to have him in. He, he had the only complete game of this postseason. I think the only postseason, we're not going to see another complete game in the postseason. I don't think. Not for a long time. Um, he had it. He should have had it. So I'm going to go with Justin Verlander with my fourth pick. Yeah, I'm happy for that guy. Uh, he, he's been, you know, he had 18 months where he wasn't right. And, um, and he that midseason trade, I like it when guys who were traded at the trade deadline end up actually doing the thing that the team got them for, you know, he actually did it. He carried them. They, they were shaky. They, they were the shakiest hundred win team uh, in, in a long time. And they were, the reason they were shaky is because they basically had Dallas Keuchel and no one else in their rotation. They had a bunch of question marks and they, you get that guy and he shows up and does what he, I mean, he was 12 and Oh, until he lost, uh, game six, he was twelve and zero as an Astro, right? Like he did, he just never lost. He was suddenly back to the old Justin Verlander, um, and I think that's right. Isn't that what he was? What did he, he had? I don't think he had gotten a loss for the Astros, whatever he was. I don't think he had gotten a loss since he'd pick, been picked up. And I, I just like it when that guy, you know, he's been in the league a long time. He's thrown no hitters. He's been in the middle of some playoff runs, whatever. Then suddenly he becomes the guy. He became their guy. And he earned his money, and he earned his. Uh, he just he earned his. He, he got everything that he did everything for the team that they thought he might do, and that that's cool. That's cool. Um, yeah. Um, all right. My fourth pick. I'm going to do something controversial, <laughs> and I'm going to pick Clayton Kershaw. Okay. I don't. I don't care. I don't care what anybody says. <laughs> Clayton Kershaw's the best. Clayton Kershaw's the best pitcher in baseball. Clayton Kershaw. Something very weird happens to Clayton Kershaw in the postseason. Everyone talks. We we've talked about it. We talk. You talk about the home runs, right? Clayton Kershaw. It seems like he gives up a ton of home runs in the postseason. He's given up 18 home runs in his career in the postseason in 122 innings. That's certainly a higher ratio than the number of home runs that he gives up uh, in the regular season. The weird, slightly weirder thing to me is the walks. Clayton yeah, Kershaw yeah. walks a lot of dudes in the postseason, and obviously, look, the hitters are much better, right? Like the. Uh, but in, in the regular season this year, he had 202 strikeouts and 30 walks. Last year, in 2016, 
He had 172 strikeouts and 11 walks. He had last year in 2016, you know, he was missed time obviously because he was hurt. He had 12 wins and 11 walks. He never walks yeah. anyone. That's his whole thing nope. is he doesn't walk people. Right. In his postseason career, he has 139 strikeouts and 37 walks. Yeah. So basically, it's like a three and a half to one strikeout to walk ratio, whereas in his life, in his career, it's at, it's it's four to one or five to one. Some in the year in last in 2016, it was whatever seventeen to one. Like he, right, I right. don't, I do not understand it, and I never will. No one ever will. The funny thing is, if you actually look at his postseason record, his WHIP, his career WHIP in the postseason is one point oh nine eight, which is pretty yep. darn good. Really good. Um, his career whip in in is basically exactly one, almost exactly one. So he he's you know it's not it's not like wildly different. It's just that he has he does a thing in the postseason that he doesn't usually do in the regular season, which is he has disaster innings. He has these innings where yep. he just cannot get anyone out, and you know he'll obviously game one he was brilliant. He was characteristically brilliant. We all thought the narrative was dead forever. Then he surrendered both a four-run lead and a three-run lead in the same game in game five, and that just doesn't happen. I just don't understand it. I hate it. I wish it weren't the case, <laughs> you know? And then he comes back and throws four innings on two days rest of perfect, of almost perfect relief. He walked two guys, uh, both intentional, but other than, other than that, he, he gave up two dribbler singles. And it's like, it just I just wish, I really, really wish that he had shut down the Astros in game five and this narrative could be dead forever because it's like all any narrative. It's like, uh, you know, the Sergio Garcia has never won a major. Phil Mickels has never won a major. Dan Marino never won a Super Bowl. It's one of these dumb things that we have to live with and we will not, it will not end until it, it ends. It just won't end until it's over. It's like, uh, and and I, I thought after game one, I was like, okay, this is it. They're going to win in five games. He's going to win game five. That'll be it. And uh, it's just such a bummer. I really hate it. It is. No, it is. It's a bummer. It's just a total bummer. Um, you know, there are times he's really, really good in the postseason. It's not a consistent thing. He was really good in game one, but he's had other games. He was good against yeah. the Cubs. Um, he, you know, he's sometimes he's really good. He never quite feels like, I mean, game one was about as close as I've seen it, where he's the the overwhelming right. dominant Kershaw, you know, there always feels like there's something weird, like, 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 I don't even know what to, to say. It's almost like there's like a little, like a window. There's just like a little film on it or something. I mean, it's just, something's just a little bit off and I don't know what it is. And maybe it's nothing. Maybe it's just, this is what happens when you only play against good teams. Cause I mean, let's face it. That's, that's a big deal. That's a big deal that you, you're only facing good lineups every single game rather than getting, you know, half your game is being against mediocre teams. So I don't know exactly what it is, but I don't either, man. I, really don't I like hate it. it. I, really, <laughs> I really hate it. I really don't like it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but you know, this is, he'll get other chances. I mean, that's the thing. I, that Dodgers team isn't going anywhere. He, he's going to, he's going to have other chances. And, yeah. yeah. The, the, the craziest thing is that his whip in this, uh, in the world series was, Point eight nine. I mean, yeah. It's I like, mean, it's, like I said, he's still. It's two innings. It's really in the entire time he pitched, it was two, and he had two bad innings. He gave up four runs, then he gave up, and then he basically put two guys on, 
and then those runs both scored on a home run off Maeda's, which so it's not even like they're totally his fault. But other than no. that, I mean, he threw 15 and two-thirds innings and struck out 17 guys. That's right in line with what he usually does. He walked five guys, which is a couple more than maybe you would expect. But a couple were intentional, like, as you well, mentioned. Well, I mean, there were two intentional and five unintentional. Um, and okay. then, but, you know, it's 10 strikeouts per nine innings. It's in a .89 whip. That is Kershaw. That's who he is. It's just that those two innings, if he doesn't give up, the, that three-run bomb to Gurry was it Guriel hit that three-run homer off him and yeah. and then he you know he just walks two guys in the same inning that never happens it's just he has the it's it's individual innings it's not like they I mean obviously we all remember those games where he you know was cruising and then against St Louis and then yeah. suddenly yeah. it's like seven runs or whatever in one inning it's just weird it's really weird and I uh, I don't I can't explain it that's it's bizarre it is bizarre. All right, with my fifth pick, I'm going to go completely off the board, uh, and I'm going to take Carlos Beltran. Uh, not for anything he did during the series, because he did nothing. I, mean, I think he came up three times and didn't get a hit. Uh, but this is probably the end for Carlos Beltran. It's probably the end of his career. It's been a fantastic career and one that that I have watched uh, very closely since the beginning. I was columnist in Kansas City when he first came up as a 21-year-old kid and, uh, you know, watch this guy just turn into, you know, really a superstar, just an absolute superstar. In his younger days, he could do everything. I mean, he was a great, he, he was, you know, he, he stole bases, he never got caught. He, he, he His percentage uh, of stolen bases, even now, even at the end of his career, you look at it, it's insane. But at the time, it was historic. I mean, he was, he would steal nine out of 10 bases for you, uh, minimum. Uh, had power, played incredible defense, uh, was just a guy that did everything. He was he was an, a, amazing. First few years he did it for Kansas City, nobody cared, nobody noticed. Went to Houston the first time and had that insane postseason. Remember that? Where, oh, where yeah. He, he, earned he, himself, uh, he earned himself about $50 million in about – $50 million for yeah. the Mets <laughs> for, for what he did for, for basically, you know, nine games or whatever. But he had that insane World Series. You couldn't get him out. Incredible. Then he went to the Mets and and for way too much money at the time, had kind of a mediocre year, and then had a spectacular year for the Mets. Uh, his second year was, you know, one of the best years in, in Mets history. Uh, then had some other good years and then bounced around, but had other, just kind of stuck around for years as a good player for, for longer than I really ever thought he would. Just kind of kept hitting and kept hitting, added power. He, he, he stopped being that all-around player, but started you know giving you 25 home runs every year basically um and now he's at the end of a career that I think he's going to have a very interesting Hall of Fame uh discussion about him I you know I think there're going to be people that are very much for him people very much against him but I think at the end everybody was so happy for him uh that that uh that they were able to to give him a World Series ring before he before he retired uh so my fifth pick is Carlos Beltran It's a great choice He's a great player. I was really happy for him. Uh, I was really happy that he came all the way back around to Houston. I, he was crying very cutely and sweetly after the uh, after they won. Uh, I am actually making my fifth pick for very similar reasons on the other side of the uh, of the on the losing side, which is I'm picking Andre Ethier. Oh, um, Andre Ethier uh, it, it was a really good baseball player. He's no longer a really good baseball player. 
Uh, he he's he does he's an odd man out for the Do- he's the longest tenured Dodger. Uh, he's sort of an odd man out in their outfield. He's 35 now. Um, he hasn't he's been he hasn't played a lot in the last couple of years. He's been banged up. He's obviously very clearly not the same guy. But this is a guy who. You know, he hit 30 home runs one year in his prime. You know, he hit 20 a couple other times. He was a really good outfielder. He's a kind of a fan favorite in L.A. He's probably done here. Um, and I was just happy when he drove in that one run. I was just happy for him that he got to the World Series with the Dodgers um, He uh, and uh, and drove in a run. Like, that was a cool moment. I thought that was, was a cool moment. It really and, was. And, um, you know, like, he was a, he's been an all-star a couple of times. He won a gold glove. Like, he... He's also, by the way, the subject of one of my favorite ever articles I wrote for Fire Joe Morgan, the old uh, baseball blog I used to write about bad sports writing. There was a Bill Plaschke piece about um, about Andre Ethier, about the Dodgers scout who uh, who said they should trade for Andre Ethier. That was it was truly wonderful. Um, in part because <laughs> the premise of the article was that this old grizzled scout was like, "You guys don't know this guy, Andre Ethier, but I've seen him play, and you should." You should trade for him, and then you you Google Andre Ethier, and he would had been the Oakland A's minor league player of the year the year before. <laughs> like, like everyone knew about Andre Ethier, but the premise of the article was like you didn't. He was this weird hidden gem, you know. Meanwhile, he's like you know winning awards in the A's minor league system. Anyway, neither here nor there. I was happy for Ethier that he got to the World Series, that he was even on the roster. I thought was great. I was happy that he uh, had a moment that he'll remember for the rest of his life where he, you know, singled to right and drove in the only run of the game. I wish they kind of wish they could have won the series for him among other people, but nonetheless, like it was, I, he's, he's at the end of the road with the Dodgers. He does not fit on this team at all. Um, he can't really play anymore. And uh, I, I was just, I was happy that he got a little moment. So I'll take him with my fifth pick. I, you know, I totally agree with you. I, the players like Andre Ethier are in so many ways kind of what baseball, you know, one of many things that baseball is kind of all about where, you know, Andre Ethier's not a Hall of Famer. I mean, we know that, but he was a very, very good player for uh, an extended period of time. Yeah. And a guy that in Los Angeles is kind of like a legend. Right? And every team has these guys like Kansas City and Mike Sweeney. Like nobody cared about Mike Sweeney outside of Kansas City, but in Kansas City, he was the one guy that was hitting when that team was terrible and was just good every year, and he was great in the in the community, and you just loved him. You just loved the guy, and every city has these guys. Often they become broadcasters, right. by the way, for, for the team after they finish, but those are those, they're such an important part of baseball, so... Totally agree. I would not have been able to tell you that Andre Ethier has played 38 games for the Dodgers the last two years. <laughs> yeah. Combined. Right? I wouldn't have been right. able to tell you that. I I mean, I just kind of thought, you know, oh boy, Andre Ethier. Uh, so it was kind of a surprise that he was on the postseason roster. And then, yeah, for him to come up with that hit, I actually thought that was the one, like, millisecond that I thought, hey, maybe. Maybe, maybe yeah, because after that know? hit, it was first and second, and they had, I think there's one out. They had a little bit of momentum for the first time, and it felt like right. if it was going to happen, it was going to happen there, and then obviously it didn't, yeah. Yeah, it, it didn't yeah. happen, no. So. All right, well, that's that's uh, that's our draft, so uh, so I guess we got to finish this off with one last meaningless thing to end this meaningless thing. It's one last meaningless thing Sports and we draft things we know, like how beaches are terrible places to go. No hot fruit for Michael, nor Diet Coke for Joe. The podcast won't.
and I will let you go first. <clears throat> so my son has a it currently has an injury. He uh, took a spill. He stepped on a basketball and it flew out from under his feet and he landed on his arm. He has a very, 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 very minor possible fracture in his elbow. But, you know, his he's in a he's in a soft cast in a sling that will probably come off in like five days. So it's it's really not a big deal. But I was looking for something to kind of like cheer him up. And uh, by the way, as if going to game seven of the World Series wasn't enough to cheer him up, right? <laughs> but I still was like, because ah, he's going to, this weekend, he's going to, for the first time ever, miss a baseball game. He had perfect, he, had, he was on a Cal Ripken-like streak for two and a half years <laughs> with his baseball team. He had never missed a single game. And he's going to miss games this Sunday. And so I was looking for something to, to oh. cheer him up. So I got tickets. My friend uh, very kindly offered me uh, tickets to the Clippers game and he's a basketball fan. So we're going to go see the Clippers game. And so now, uh, we're going to this Clippers game and it's totally for him to make him feel, and he's really excited or whatever, but I didn't realize how existentially empty it was going to be for me to go to a basketball <laughs> game so soon after the end of baseball season. Like I, yeah, it's a really, like I'm finding, I'm really, it's like, I'm acutely aware of how, uh, this means that there's no more baseball. And it just is like a real bummer. I'm just like, I can't get it. I'm obviously I'm happy to go. I'm going to be fun. They're playing the heat. They'll probably win. They're playing really well right now. It's going to be fun blah, 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 blah. But I, I'm just, I get bummed out that there's no more baseball. Yeah. Well, I can't blame you, honestly, because if you, it, I mean, and this is not specific to the Clippers, but you go to an LA Clippers game, baseball season's over. Yeah, that's, that's right. right. I mean, that's, that's what that means. That's what it is. That's exactly what that means. It's like they all. It ought to actually be their slogan: like, "Come to the Clippers, baseball season's over." Um, yeah, it's a bummer. It is just a bummer. I, I just, it feels like this winter is already here. By the way, I mean, like it doesn't start till December twentieth, and the weather's not turned yet, obviously. But, but. Uh, it feels like winter is upon us and it just, it is, it's a bummer. It's a, at least we have the awards, you know, at least we have some baseball awards to discuss over yeah. the next couple oh, of weeks. But it's not the same. No, I know it's, it's a bummer. All right. My one last meaningless thing. I think I've got, I think I might have a, uh, um, a real, uh, this might be the, the best of the one. Last Can't meaningless wait. Things. Uh, I, I know I'm saying that in advance, but I, but I mean, this could not be more meaningless. So, uh, before Game Seven, I uh, had to go down to the field and uh, do uh, an interview with uh, with uh, Mad Dog Russo, Chris Russo. So, uh, so in order to do that at Dodger Stadium, you kind of have to wind down a bunch of steps, and then you get out in the field and you get on the wrong side, and you have to cross around, uh, you know, behind home plate and go all the way up down, you know, the first baseline. Uh, it's not that long a walk, but you have to kind of maneuver your way through. So I went down to the field before the game and and got on the field and I went behind home plate and then there were a bunch of cameras that I kind of had to walk around. And then, and I I I I just have to say it. I I can't. I I wasn't. I, I should not say this, but I'm going to say it. I was walking toward there. I I stepped on a rake. And the rake no jumped way. up and bonked me in the head. No way. <laughs> You're kidding me. So, <laughs> this thing that has always been like a comedy trope that never does not exist, does not, nobody, nobody slips on banana peels and nobody steps on a rake and has it bonked them in the head. I stepped on a rake and it bonked me in the head. I, I literally am st I'm stunned <laughs> into silence. I don't know what to say. 
what 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 can you say and and i was looking around like oh my god i hope nobody saw that oh my god i can't of course now i'm telling everybody but but i'm like oh my god i hope nobody saw that and then you know then the rake went down and it didn't hurt i mean it kind of bonked me i mean it was like it was shocking it was like whoa and and then the, i put the rake went down and i just stopped for a second and i went i i just stepped on a rake and it hit me in the head i that literally just i am I am now officially like in a Laurel and Hardy movie. I, this literally just happened. That is truly stunning. This is you're right. I, you, you, I was worried that you were overselling it, but that is the best. This is the best all time <laughs> meaningless thing to end this meaningless thing. Congratulations. I think we should. I kind of. Thank I'm not you. kidding. I think we should retire the segment. I'm not kidding. I think we should. I think this should be the last one. We should come up with something else to do at the end of this silly hour and 30 minute podcast. We should retire it. I think I think this should be the end. This should be you should have. Let, let's walk off into the sunset with you stepping on a rake. I think we should. Yeah, I don't think I don't think I can top it. I mean, no, I don't think anyone can. I mean, that's a, that's the that's the most existentially absurd and meaningless thing that can possibly happen. I think we got to retire the segment, man. I think, I think I it's think over. You're right. I yeah. think I think starting next week, it's it's because I've have thought about this that, that it, this is this is the, we've 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 hit a peak on this thing and it's time to move on. I think next week we have to have questions. That's what it should be. The last thing should be one question for each other. Great. My first question is going to be: Has anyone out there ever stepped on a rake and had it come <laughs> up and bark them in the head? <laughs> I actually meant for each other, but that's fine. An open-ended question. If you want to tell us about your rake stories, please feel free to to tweet us. And and uh, we'll I don't know. Okay, I don't know what we're gonna do, but I I I'm unilaterally declaring this the end of this segment. <laughs> There's no more one last meaningless thing to end this meaningless thing because you have you have achieved the impossible. You have you have like pure meaningless. Yes, pure meaning. Pure, pure like like cosmic meaninglessness. <laughs> In, a, in like the most interesting possible way. Congratulations. There's no more. This segment's over forever. That's it. It's done. That's it. We've, we've, you know, it's we've, actually, and it's fitting because it's the end of baseball season, right? It's the, yeah. like, it's the end of, we, there was new, we, this is like the time of, of, uh, uh, of fall heading into winter. It's November. Trees are going to die soon. Like the, <laughs> the earth will be reborn. Baseball season will be reborn. And when it does, there will be a new segment at the end of this stupid podcast that we do. <laughs> All right, it's over. That's it. No that's more it. meaningless things. It's over. That's it. We're done. We're done. All right, Michael. Well, as always, thank you. And thanks for having me.